Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Good morning. Hi, Tracy. How are you? Oh, good. Yeah, good, good, good. Um, I had an interesting week working with a new coaching client. That's been cool. I've been meeting people. I've been out networking, meeting people. And I met this amazing woman who I'm inviting onto the podcast as a guest. Oh, great. This is exciting. What can we expect? Who is this? Well, it's like, it's not officially confirmed yet so I don't want to say too much oh you can't give us a little bit of a teaser well she's had a very interesting career in the sense that she's well and she's smart and she's beautiful and all these things she's from Zimbabwe and she's emigrated to here to Australia Mm -hmm. and so that's got stories in itself and then she's also an engineer and loves her work and she was also a professional model and lived in New York so she's gotten news about opinions and experiences to share about the fashion industry and maybe moving here so she's got a lot a lot we can hear about discuss so I yes. thought she'd be a great guest definitely sounds great sounds like some uh sounds like uh, this connection um could really bring a lot of topics to explore which will be relevant for this podcast um so yeah that's something to look out for look yeah for. and I mean and the way I came across her is my friend Emma I have a friend Emma and we were caught up for something and then you know we talk about what we're doing and podcasts and stuff and she met her and she connected us so we met for coffee last week I was like awesome she was awesome it's great you you meet people Mm. I mean you know you just meet people you think oh this person's awesome I really want to get to know them really want to be their friend I mean, that's how I felt with this person. That's how I felt when I met you. And so I always make it, make an effort to do that, to make these people, make the people my friends. You know? <laughs> All part of your big plan. All part of my big plan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're talking about things that have been happening this week. What kind of stories have we got to kick us off this week? We have stories about, well, we've got some lots of good stories. We've kind of talked about, one of them before which you're going to kindly share with us in a moment 
It was one of the first stories and it was a celebratory story where I discovered something I'd never heard of before, which was about drag queens reading or doing story time in the library for children in yeah. Rochdale, but it was in Rochdale. Is this Rochdale in Manchester? Yeah, up that way. Yeah. And uh, so I thought it was so cool. And especially for a place like Rochdale, it's not a city, you know, it's a small community. And I just thought it was wonderful that this community had embraced this concept and idea and, um, you know, about uh, making queer normal and giving people the choice to teach their children about other people that might be different and that difference is okay. Mm. I think that's a really key takeaway. But anyway, you know, there was other parts of the UK where that wasn't successful and now we're finding that here. Right. I see. And the story in Rochdale, I don't know whether or not you can remember, but how did that turn out? Was there, what was the article about? Was it about celebrating that or were there any, was there any backlash around that in Rochdale? Can you remember? I do remember. I think there was some protest, but it wasn't, it didn't stop the library from going ahead. Hmm. Um, but then they talked about other towns and cities where protesters had stopped that going ahead. Yeah. So it was a bit a mix, but this was actually, you know, a positive outcome yeah. at that time. Yeah. Yeah, because as you've mentioned, this is now um, it's making its way over to Australian shores, as a lot of behaviors and trends tend to do um, from the UK. And there's an article uh, that is from the Manly Observer, which talks about some of the responses that have happened to a similar type of story time here in Sydney. And I know that there's been some other riots that have taken place at libraries in Melbourne, and I think also Perth, where there's been a drag queen who's been booked for a story time and um, parents or members of a community have expressed outrage and rioted. And it's made its way over to Manly. So this article is from a Manly Observer, The headline reads, police respond to bomb threat. Rainbow counter protest drowns out drag queen story hour protest at Manly Library. A protest against a drag queen story hour event at Manly Library was drowned out by a large, colourful and peaceful counter protest this morning. However, the library was completely closed an hour ahead of the event following a bomb threat made towards organisers, which was also sent directly to Manly Observer. We liaised with police over the most appropriate reporting response and chose not to publicise the threat until now after the event. The information which included a claim of a bomb planted at the library to kill all paedophiles has been provided to police to investigate. Police gave up all clear for the event to proceed, closing the library to anyone without a ticket for for the event itself. The story hour organised and paid for by Northern Beaches Council was intended as an exclusive event as part of World Pride currently underway across Sydney. It is an event to show support for the LGBTQIA community. Manly Observer has been tracking public sentiment on the scheduled event over the last two weeks, with Manly-based influencer Dean Wells among the most vocal with a number of social media posts sharing his concerns about a drag queen reading to children was inappropriate. Mm. He lost his management contract over the social posts, a feud between Wells and the performer, 
Charisma Bell has continued over Instagram. Charisma Bell? That's the name of the drag drag queen. Yeah. Wow. She goes on to say, in our observations, however, the community response has been largely positive to the event. Then counter-protest was intended to ensure children attending today and their parents felt supported. So there was some some protesters which were met by counter-protesters in Mm. the event. Mm. But it's very interesting to see how this similar occurrence of protest occurred in, obviously, in the UK and then a few weeks ago in Melbourne, and now it's made its way to Manly. So what do you think, Tracy, is going on here? I don't know, because I was like, well, what are the reasons? And if you're saying the cop threatens a bomb threat, that's pretty serious. Mm. And, you know, as well around, do people really believe that drag queens are paedophiles? We're making this association. The words that are coming up with the protesters are labels like paedophiles. Um, there's also a lot of um, backlash against um, homosexuality in general with the uh, protesters. And that's what is... Um, I think that's what's driving this. That's what seems to be driving this. Who can say? I know. I just think it's insane. There's like, firstly, where does the idea come from? There's never been any that I'm aware of. I, I think I'm just trying to, honestly, I'm just thinking out like, where could this idea possibly come from. And the only thing that comes up that comes to mind is with um, stories about actual paedophiles in the clergy, for example. Okay. I don't know why, but that's what pops up in my head. Because, you know, there's been paedophiles that have become clergy and abused their power and, and abused children. I don't know. I'm just like, how is that's not even related? I don't know how. I yeah. just don't know. I'm trying to make sense of yeah. this, these the beliefs that equals that. It's in- I mean, on a general level, you know, maybe it comes down to fear. You know, uh, whenever society or a community sees something different or very unexpected or not in in relation to their usual norms, which is completely outside their norms, and they can't, sometimes people can't make sense of things, it brings about feelings of of fear. And and then that can drive, that can be the underlying driver of, you know, of aggression. And so not knowing what this story time what the drag queen story time is all about maybe that's what it is and then knowing that there's exposure to children and not knowing what the children are being exposed to rather than ask questions rather than read and find out more or um, talk to people and find out more rather than doing that first off Hmm. and, and rather than falling into fear maybe that's what's going on here maybe I mean Somebody knows, but obviously no idea. I just can't understand the beliefs that drive the fear because there's a belief behind driving the fear. Um, And even if it's, oh, it's not I normal for them, but it's not like a drag queen's a new concept. It's been around for a long time. And it's, it's a societal thing. You know, people go and see drag acts. You've got drag bingo. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, I know that there's a lot of um, uh, comedy stores, comedy locations out there, comedy nights out there, where there are drag acts, drag queens. And I don't hear, I can't remember hearing any instances of riots 
outside no. stores or protest so it's obviously got to link into the children yeah so it's like well what is it do they really believe that they're gonna harm it's harmful to children I just think that's just I don't understand that but I obviously don't I can't perceive that if they obviously must believe it to protest but also though as well which annoys me is just don't take your children if that's what you believe there's other people that believe differently and they have a choice I mean taking that choice away and I think you know I don't think you have a right to do that if you don't yeah. believe, if you have your own beliefs, fine. But I don't think we have a right to take that choice away from other people. Yeah. And, and that makes me angry. Yeah. And when you said about we beliefs and or the involvement of children, maybe it's around, but maybe the protesters are believing that, you know, they this is you know, drag queen. Drag queens are not something that they want to encourage in their children, maybe even transgender. Maybe they're seeing it as transgender. And that's something that they don't want to encourage in their children. Maybe that's what the underlying belief is. But I just want to revert back to a an article by the Daily Mail, which reported about this drag queen story in Melbourne. The one of the quotes or one of the uh, one of the library members, uh, Dr. Diamond, who organised the, the drag event in Melbourne. In the Daily Mail article, he basically says, he quotes as saying, our drag story time event was designed to introduce children to diverse role models and encourage acceptance, love and respect of our LGBTIQA plus community. It is so disappointing that some people have a long way to go before this is achieved. We understand this was not for everyone and scheduled it outside our regular library program so that parents planning to bring their children were making a deliberate choice to attend. Well, that's the thing. And then for, even if you want to protest, fine, protest. But how scary, I've got to consider how scary that is for children. And that's probably why it wouldn't go ahead because it could be quite scary. People, angry people shouting outside as you walk into the library, you're probably a place of fun and escape and the child probably goes to the library all the time I imagine it could be quite scary for mm. children to have to experience just that I think that's way more damaging than having a story read by somebody dressed up in colorful clothes with long eyelashes and wearing glitter seriously <laughs> yeah that's right and it's a shame really because it's a shame for the children because you don't want the children to be associating the library with a negative experience Exactly. Um, you know, because that's a reading forum. So I um, want to encourage the reading forum. And that's what the story time, whether it be read by a drag queen or a unicorn for that matter, I'm sure that would raise eyebrows. Um, but um, you know, it doesn't matter who it's read by, really, as long as it's not damaging to the children. Then that's, mm. But that, even that said, maybe that's what the protesters are then putting forward is that this is damaging to the children. And they are as well. You know, there's one thing being dressed as a unicorn, dressed as a clown, but drag queens are part of a community, a big community that's part of humanity in every world, every country in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's not illegal. There's no evidence to suggest it's harming anyone other than those themselves that are persecuted for living in this way. Then I don't understand how... You can form those beliefs so strongly to prevent other people interacting with the LGBTQI community. I just think it's 
yeah. I think you've got something else going on with you, let's be honest. You know, this is kind of like a another way of seeing, you know, this happened or maybe and sometimes it still is happening in terms of inclusion of different colours. You know, years ago when there were riots, when, you know, there was a mixing of black community with white community, you know. So, you know, this is almost like it's a replay of that happening again, but it's targeted at the LGBT. QI A plus community. It's very sad. It's very sad. I don't know if Australia is specifically behind or because I'm sure they do this in America as well, in places. I'm sure there's protests sometimes, but it seems to be maybe it's just too new an idea on Australian shores. I don't know. Well, I know that um, if it was a clown, that would be scary. Yeah, for some kids, that would be really scary, actually. Yeah, yeah. some people are really scared of clowns, right? That's it, yeah. And yeah. actually, that uh, don't mean to be funny, but I can imagine for some children, a drag queen could potentially look like a clown. I know it sounds terrible, it comes out of my mouth, but I mean, you know, the, the makeup, the hair, that could, that yes, could be scary. Yes, that's right, well. Well, yeah, Although, I mean, I've you'd know straight away because yeah, I mean, I, I found most drag queens to be looking absolutely fabulous. Yeah, exactly. As a child, yeah, maybe there may be some confusion caused, but that's the whole premise of having drag queen story time is to introduce children at a very young age that it's okay, it's normalizing. Mm. It is normalizing. And yeah. do you know what else it made me think of? And this was in the other story about the Rochdale one, is in the UK, we have pantomime. And in pantomime, traditionally, the female leading characters are basically drag queens. The Dame. Yeah, the Dame. The men dressed as women with the hair and the lipstick and the makeup. And they're acting out a story. And it's all for children. Pantomimes are for children. So I don't think they have them in Australia, pantomimes. I don't think they do, no. No, I think... uh... The earliest thing that they had around, I suppose, drag was probably um, Dame Edna Everidge. And hence, Dame. Dame Edna. Yeah. So Dame Edna's telling your kids stories is our problem. That's a very very good point. Were there any protests around uh, Barry Humphreys when he was performing as Dame? Edna Everidge. I don't think there was. I don't think there was. I don't know if people put interesting, see the, the, the sense in what they're doing when they've, we've got these icons. Maybe they do have a problem with Dame Edna. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe, or, yeah, maybe they did. Uh, but maybe they didn't see the, maybe they didn't associate um, drag queen story time with taking that's on a very serious level. Whereas maybe when they thought about Dame Edna Everidge or when they ever looked at her, they didn't really take it seriously because it was a comical character whatever it's the same thing the pantomime thing is the closest the same thing to me you've got men dressed as women makeup hair um exaggerating telling the story in acting the story out with kids and we have that and that was we all grew up with that so that's normal or not unusual at least yeah I and think, then yeah 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 and again i'm gonna put a cat amongst the pigeons here mm. that can be seen as coming from a comical side we're laughing at it. We're coming together. We know we're going to be. It's a show. It's theatre. Yeah. Whereas drag time, uh, drag queen story time, may be seen as 
well, this is a story being told by a drag queen where this is their way of life. And so that maybe that's the difference that protesters are taking. Maybe. But for the child, it's a fun, um, energetic, animated person telling a story. And I think that's very exciting. Yeah. And I'd be very excited as a child. But anyway. Yeah, I would love um, that, actually. If, it was, if I can think back to when I was a child, if I would have um, went to story time and it would have been told by a drag queen, yeah, I think I would have been quite mesmerised. I think so. I would have been staring at everything. It would have been yeah, so cool. because there would have been so much colour and so much life. Not to say that my um, nursery school teachers or um, primary school teachers weren't entertaining because they very much were, but, but um, having a drag queen tell a story that would have been fantastic and I really because of the time looking at the time I really wanted to squeeze this one in quickly because we just had Eurovision I miss it every year I don't follow I was like oh miss it every year and I really like this story because it talks it describes Eurovision as having become the gay world cup and I thought that was so such a cool description of the Eurovision and it's saying why LGBTQ plus audiences love Eurovision. And so, you know, Eurovision is not even Euro anymore because you've got so many countries that aren't actually part of Europe. Well, it's just Australia, isn't it? I just thought there was uh, the only country that isn't part of Europe now is Australia. Although, but you've got like Ukraine wasn't part of Europe. You've yeah, got Israeli, it. you know, you've got those countries. So there's yeah. more than Australia. Well, the Middle East, isn't it? Yeah, they have Middle East. Yeah. So it's saying... You know, the LGBTQ plus community are huge followers because there's more and more contemporary LGBTQ plus representation and visibility in the performances. And I thought, actually, that's true. That's kind of grown as it's almost become like the tradition. You'd kind of be surprised if you didn't see any representation in any of the yes. acts. That's right. And it's also, it's encouraged that, you know, I think the more obscure and uh, creative the act, the higher the vote's going to be. So uh, it's literally like, yeah, really putting it out there. So, um, yeah, and I can understand why it's, it's been called, um, yeah, the, yeah, the football, the equivalent of football World Cup. Yeah. And it says, uh, it actually says, um, the Gay World Cup and the Gay Olympics or Gay Christmas. <laughs> rolled into one right rolled into one. No, yeah. That's yeah and I think it was who won this year was it Sweden I think it's Sweden that won this year I didn't say I missed it um, but there was a, a fan called Lewis thought he described how Eurovision helped him come to terms with his sexuality you know Eurovision so popular why is it so popular among the LGBTQ plus communities so many related um you know it's camp in nature it reliance on excess. It describes it as a effeminacy of gay men. Um, it's a sensibility that represents a love of the unnatural or artifice and exaggeration. And that's what I love about it because, you know, if everything was the same, life can be like this, can't it? That's right. It can be like this and it can be just the same, same, same. I mean, if we were the same, oh my God, I think I'd have to leave the world early because of boredom. So to have these yeah. extravagances and exaggeration just I don't know, adds a bit of vibrancy to life yeah, yeah adds a bit of color to life but looking back or thinking back 
your earliest memories, Tracy, can you remember Eurovision being quite camp? Being no. Quite well, it didn't used to be. That's what I was thinking, because one of my earliest memories of Eurovision was when Bucks Fizz were four performers and they had the rip the two girls and they had a ripping rip the skirt yeah included ripping of a skirt that was I think back in the 1980s and that was one of the earliest memories of Eurovision and but, I think I also remember it was introduced it was actually um hosted by Terry Wogan oh my goodness yes and- and Terry Wogan, I actually met Terry Wogan, um, another claim to fame there. Mm. And he was one of the nicest people ever. But I don't remember being, I don't remember Eurovision being so camp in the Terry Wogan days. It wasn't. And, and now hosted, that. Yeah, and now it's hosted by Graham Norton. And I can't remember, when did it, uh, I suppose, evolve? I don't know. Being so, the, the Gay World Cup. I don't know. I remember there was, I don't know if she- they were trans or if they were considered a drag queen because I was too young to understand and I still can't think. But there was one that won with the beard, you know, the woman with the oh, beard. Yeah. Yes. Yes, who is also, um, that's, I'll confess, my alter ego. So in my <laughs> fancy dress, one of my fancy dress costumes, which I actually won twice, is when I went, I was, I dressed up as Conchita. Okay, so there you go. There you go. I think, what, I think maybe what's happened is maybe during the late 80s, maybe during the 90s, maybe what's happened is some of the performances have been quite out there. And over the years, it's just been a competition in terms of one country trying to outbeat another country in terms of how outlandish a performance can be. And that's gave the attention of the gay community and maybe that's how it's evolved maybe but it's saying here that camp you know camp can represent the sense of subcultural community through the gaying of straight community and it says although there was no actual representation in the beginnings of eurovision lgbtq plus communities adapted for their own purposes and needs using the joy of the song contest as a means to celebrate and the, its increased visibility of the LGBTQ plus participants in both music and television. And I was actually talking about Dana was the trans, that's who I was talking about. Oh, it's the transgender winner for Israel. And yeah. that was the one, Dana International. And then there was those weird guys in the silver outfits. I call them weird. Everything was weird. I think that was Verka Sadducha, Ukrainian drag queen. Uh-huh. That was really, and it was really became a catchy song. Um, and then your Conchita Worst. Yes. No, I was on about Conchita, sorry. These are yes. different winners. Conchita Worst won the contest for Austria. So. Yeah. So there's been a number of memorable moments of LGBTQ plus representation during the event. And that's really cool. And I think that I love the fact that that's become what it has become. I just think it's beautiful. But anyway, I'm going to move on to the next story. Yes. So we love this story, don't we, Bavna? Mm. Yes. This is a celebration of representation. The story, that's what it means to me. And it's a story from, I don't know what you call it, The Hill. The Hill is the news source. It's American. And the story says, Mattel released first ever Barbie with Down syndrome. So Mattel is the toy company that makes Barbie dolls. That's right. Yeah. 
And the new doll is part of a diverse new collection released by the nearly 80-year-old toy maker. And I was like, wow. And there's an amazing photograph and it shows all these Barbies in amazing outfits. And you have like Black Barbie, you have Indian Barbie, you have Asian Barbie. I mean, I'm guessing because they're just different. There's like 50 shades of brown here. I couldn't tell you which... And so they they should be, yes. Yeah, and so they should be. Mm -hmm. So it's launched its first ever Barbie doll with Down syndrome. And this is in April. um, To allow even more children to see themselves in the iconic toy. The doll with Down syndrome is part of a new but more diverse 2023 Barbie fashionistas line. Down syndrome is a genetic disorder. We know that. It causes a person to be born with an extra pair of the 21st chromosomes. And then the common physical features of the condition include a flattened face, almond-shaped eyes, the slant upwards, a shortened neck, and tiny white spots on the iris. 6,000 babies a year born in the US have Down syndrome. Barbie worked with the National Down Syndrome Society to design a doll accurately representing a person with Down syndrome. The new doll has a face and body shape created to be more illustrative of a woman with Down syndrome and features almond-shaped eyes, the slant slightly upwards, a shorter frame, and a longer torso. The doll also includes a common but more unknown characteristic of Down syndrome, a single line down the palm of the hands. As the most diverse doll line on the market, Barbie plays an important role in child's early experiences, and we are dedicated to doing our part to encounter social stigma through play. Love that. That was from Lisa McKnight, Executive Vice President, and global head of Barbie and dolls. Our goal is to enable all children to see themselves in Barbie, whilst also encouraging children to play with dolls who do not look like themselves. Beautiful. Um, it's a huge step forward for inclusion and a moment that we are celebrating. Absolutely. The new doll includes a number of fashion accessories that honor those with Down syndrome. Okay, do I mention what the accessories are? Mm. The doll dons a puff sleeve dress decorated with blue and yellow butterfly pattern, symbols and colours linked to Down syndrome awareness, and wears a pink pendant necklace with three arrows, representing the three copies of the 21st chromosome. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? The doll with Down syndrome also wears pink sneakers, ankle foot orthotics, since some children with the condition use orthotics to support their feet and ankles. Wow, they've really they really thought about this, haven't they? Which is they have. And this is the end. It says other dolls in the 2023 Fashionistas lineup feature a variety of body types, a doll wearing braces, and a Ken doll with a prosthetic leg. Wow, that's great. Yeah, this is Mattel's really kind of uh, honed in and they're moving with the times, aren't they? Absolutely. So yeah. uh, this is what's that's what makes a brand last forever change mm. and evolving and I remember but I always wanted a Barbie doll I had one did you have one I didn't have any dolls no no but I actually I do have a Barbie doll uh but I got it in my 20s I'm gonna say you still have it it's actually it's actually an Indian Barbie oh yes, yes so and it's wearing a red sari and I actually picked it up not in England but I picked it up in India Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. And I actually picked it up and I bought it in my 20s because um, uh, I never had dolls when, when I was mm-hmm. growing up. And so when I was in my 20s, so it's still in its box. 
and it's still uh, in its box. box yeah, and I bought it obviously not for play reasons but I bought it for more nostalgia region reasons and also I bought it because when I was growing up in the 70s and um, very early 80s mm. there wasn't any Mattel didn't make any dolls um, which were wearing saris maybe if I would have flown to New Delhi or Bombay in the late 70s maybe there might have been one but I doubt it um, so um, yeah back in the day it was, your, it was your bog standard Barbie you know blonde hair blue eyes yeah skinny little mm. Skinny little Barbie, yeah, at all. Oh, I really like, I had the traditional Barbie. I would have loved to have seen, do you know what I would love to have seen, if I think about it? I would have loved to have seen, you know, Black Barbie, biracial Barbie. I would love to have seen different Barbies. And I would love to have seen different kids playing with Barbies, all different types of Barbies, because mm. not just the traditional blonde hair, blue-eyed one. Yeah, I think um, about 15 years, 15, 16, yeah, maybe 15 or, or 18 years ago when companies started producing or really putting or advertising started putting out dolls, which were of, you know, which had different skin tones. That's where I started seeing it out in society, out in, um, I know um, back in London, there was a lot of that. I know that I remember I was shopping for my niece one Christmas time. And I struggled to find uh, a doll set which was reflected her colour. So um, my uh, niece is mixed race. And so I wanted to get her a, a toy doll selection or a toy house, um, which reflected her, her colour, her skin tone. But I couldn't find that. And I remember I looked for a good two, three weeks before Christmas. Um, and I finally found one online. And I didn't think at the time, oh, why is it so why is it so tricky to find this? Nowadays, I could probably walk into a store and like you say, there's a number of different shades of brown on the shelf. Mm. But even 15 years ago, uh, you know, for me, that was well, actually, I don't think that's necessarily the case because I often go shopping for toys in the last few years because I've got so many friends with kids. Mm. And every Christmas, you know, I'll look for presents. And I don't recall seeing that many diverse dolls, to be honest in Australia anyway so that's interesting um, but I really just it's just reminded me of something I saw on Facebook and there was a lady started a business making dolls but they were like the soft kind of dolls you know like knitted or cloth yes. or those kind yeah. of dolls and she was making dolls with different ailments like diseases visible diseases for children that have those diseases I just thought that was incredible and beautiful. Mm. So she was making dolls that look like them, but in the health, you know, from having maybe some sort of um, disability or deformity even. She was making dolls that look like that for kids. And I thought that was just incredible. It's such mm. a beautiful story. I just saw it on Facebook. I said to share it, but it wasn't really a story. Yeah, no, when talking about sharing items like that you've seen on Facebook, something that came up on my feed uh, just the other day, which relates to this. It's a poem by Rupi Kaur, who we went to see at the Sydney Opera House. And um, I'll just read out the poem for you. It's a very short one. Representation is vital. Otherwise, the butterfly surrounded by a group of moths, unable to see itself, will keep trying to become the moth. Beautiful. That's exactly it. Mm. that is beautiful oh that says so many things that speaks to me in so many ways that's what I thought I'd share and yeah. that, you know it's about that's what representation is that's the, mm. that's the reason why representation is so important 
and that the fact that Mattel have now produced this doll, which represents the Down syndrome community. It's amazing because now they're seen and now children who suffer from Down syndrome, you know, they're able to have a doll and play and include a doll which looks like them. Mm. So um, which values them. And then mm. also see other children who don't have Down syndrome to include a Down syndrome uh, doll in their play. Yeah. All right. I think it's time to move on. So what would you do? What would you do? And we are deciding to bring our, a few others that we've just found making them up. What would you do? Yeah. Let's see so, how it goes. We'll see how it goes. So this one is a story that we're not going to read out, but it raises a what would you do type question. So you have, I guess, a black woman who's your friend, who's a gorgeous lady, and she wants to join the army. She wants to join the army. And she's got this amazing braided hair. And she goes to join the army and they tell her that she has to, she can't have braids. It's not part of the uniform yeah, it's not possible. You can't do it, basically. What would you, what advice would you give her? She's quite upset because it's part of her identity mm. as a black woman. Yeah. And um, she's had braids and she wears her hair in braids all her life. Like, what, what advice would you give her? That's an interesting one. I mean, definitely it mirrors a, a recent article that came up uh, with, I think it was Miss Universe, uh, where she joined, where Miss Universe wanted or has joined the Navy and um, was told about uh, the braids being an issue. If that was my friend, what would I do? It's a tricky one. Obviously, I'd want my friend to feel comfortable being herself in the job that she's doing, regardless if it was the whether it's in the defense force or whether it be in a corporate environment. I would want her to feel comfortable and also to, it's not the hairstyle that is going to be impacting her ability to do the job. So in a corporate style environment, that's what I'd be aiming at. That's the approach where I'd be coming from, is that where does the hairstyle prevent me from being able to do this job adequately? So in that corporate environment, in the nature of work where it's uh, in a defense, where there may be physical activity, bring it out there, that and again I'd be still questioning well that's the reason in terms of braids braids are a way of when you tie your hair back in a ponytail that's a way which when you have afro hair Mm. braids is a way of actually um, uh, pulling your hair back in order to do your job uh, if it's a physical job so that's where I'd be coming from is mm. finding out the reasons like, well, why would my hair being in braids prevent me from performing this duty as to the best of my ability? Yeah, I mean, so many things for this story. I think in this particular example, this beauty pageant hopeful, Hakutangui, she joined the Navy Gap Year program. And she was to work with clearance divers. So that was kind of what she was being assigned to do. And yeah, she was obviously told that, you know, her hair didn't fit the uniform code. Now, I know in the army, like, they used to shave men's head, didn't they? They used to. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. A long, long time ago. And I get, did they used to? Or is that what we just see on films? Maybe used to, but a long, long time ago, especially in America. 
Yeah. But I don't think they do that anymore. Yeah, that's right. And also, if it's like, if it's a hair issue, you can't control the type of, you can't choose the type of hair you're born with. In terms of if you, um, and that's the reason why braids come into play, because like, as I mentioned, if you've got Afro hair. It's going to um, be like this. It's, yeah, it's like. And it's not practical hair. for wearing like helmets or hats. But if you, but tra- yeah, so Tracy, if you had braids, mm. your hair would be pinned back. Yeah. And that's helping the situation. And it's like, it's, just, it's the equivalent to having um, a Caucasian uh, lady putting her hair in a ponytail. Kind of, yeah. I mean, um, if I had to braid my hair, that would be much more conducive to wearing headwear and to diving, for example. Mm. For sure, it would be far more practical. And what would be your alternative option to that? I would click it all. I've done it before. But to be honest, though, when it's wet, it goes, you know. Exactly. So, so, so you'd be yeah. saying there's a limited uh, option of what else you could do. Yes. Apart from shave your head. Apart from shave your head. Apart from shave my head, yeah. It's, so it's a very limited. Right. And this is a situation like that you're in. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't understand. I get, you know, you've got to also maybe think about, I mean, the mentality they want you to have. And uh, they don't want you to be thinking about your hair, for example. They don't want you to be focused on the job. Um, maybe that's why they shave men's head. And I'm sure if a man had long hair, that would be against the code as well. Yeah, I think the re- one of the reasons why they used to shave men's or everyone's hair is because um, okay. they wanted yes. to, as well as that, but also uh, they're really aiming for uniformity. So, you know, have, maybe having someone with braids in their hair, you know, uh, that basically, you know, makes them more of an individual and mm. that's going against, you know, the defence force. So, and, you know, what they strive for. But at the end of it, and that's why I'm saying, you know, you can't help what hair you're born with. Well, this is the thing. And I mean, they obviously don't do it anymore because you see women with ponytails or whatever. I mean, I don't see many women with really long hair, but maybe it's always tied in a bun or whatever, a back or whatever. So I just think that now in this day and age, there's no reason why you couldn't have braids because that's your hair at the end of the day, like you say. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's going back to tying it back in with the Mattel story we were talking about, you know, businesses survive because of change. Mm. So the defence force, you know, um, I don't know about the numbers, the, the demographic numbers they have, um, you know, with... Um, with minority individuals, individuals of minority backgrounds signing up. But, you know, that's something that they need, that, you know, they'd be worthwhile looking into. Mm. So, well, I guess the question is, what would you do if it was you, but if it's your friend and you're giving her advice? I'd say to, to stick her ground and um, not to feel penalised by it, but uh, to open up conversation with the decision makers about mm. why the hair would be impacting on her to do the job that she's assigned to do. And also to highlight the fact that it is the hair that she has, that she's born with. And she's already taking actions to tie her hair back, like, mm. like any other person would be asked to do. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and to basically open up a conversation about, you know, about that difference but hoping to minimise it. Yeah. Like, I guess for me, yeah, I'd be the same. I'd be like, do you, were they clear on the reason why that's part of the rules? Like, what is it that, what's the purpose of that rule? And does that purpose, you know, really hold true 
in your particular situation and they'll be asking them that but you mean yeah you're right it's a conversation right you've got to have it mm-hmm. and it just reminds it actually reminds me of an incident I had at high school with my hair I got bawled out by a teacher so my school had a really strict uniform like this Catholic school really strict uniform rules like your skirt had to be so long couldn't be above your knees you know you had to wear your black you had to wear all these things that was very strict and you weren't allowed to wear any hair products and if you're a girl you know boys weren't allowed to have gel in their hair it was very very strict did you have to wear a bonnet no I didn't have to wear a bonnet okay I'm having visions of some trinians <laughs> no 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 and I always wore a hair product because my hair is always got products and even now it means dry looking but it's always got products and it has to maintain the moisture of uh, afro hair and at the time actually my hair wasn't natural it was what I've called perm the perm yeah and it had products in it and I remember getting I got like shouting at in front of everyone like I felt humiliated actually and I'll never forget it and I remember really being really upset and talked to my mum about it. And she wrote a letter. I don't know if she rang or came in. She didn't come in. She might have rang, but she wrote a letter. And that, and I mean, I continued to wear stuff in my hair. But it's, again, it's a scenario where my, because of my hair, I have to maintain it with, or I could have had braids, but I didn't have braids then. That would have been an alternative. After your mum wrote the letter in or communicated with the head principal, so what was their response? What was the school's response? I didn't get a response. I just didn't get any more requests to do anything different with my hair. Or I don't remember one. I don't remember an apology. I don't remember anything like that. I just remember that I felt very different about this particular teacher after that incident. And I was, and at the time, in the moment when it happened, I felt humiliated and angry. Yeah, so you would be, yeah. Yeah. So you would be. So I think it's really important to consider or to inform yourself about, if you were a teacher, for example, about the different students and their needs, hmm. cultural or whatever, and how that aligns with the school rules. It's basically, how do your rules impact your actual students? Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it might be for other things. It might be with abilities or disabilities, living with yeah. disabilities or, or disease or whatever. Yeah, and it is about calling it out and, again, opening up those conversations. And I'm so, I'm so glad that your mom wrote that letter. So glad. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you have to do these things. So yeah, and that just reminded me of that. Um, but to see that it happens, I get that oh, I mean, need to have strict code of conduct and rules and how you should present yourself. Totally get that. But then I think they also have to think about who their soldiers are and the differences are and what and how their rules align with that. That's exactly what I'm saying, basically. Yeah. All right. That was an interesting one. That was an interesting yeah. one. Thanks for that, Batman. You found that one. All good. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. Time for yes. That's um, all we've got time for. I really love those stories. Actually, They're really great. Really, especially liked one the towel story. That's a great one. That kind of warms the heart, doesn't it? It does. It really does. I was like, oh, gonna tell the story. Love it. Love it. All right, Hannah, I'll speak to you again next week. Great, yeah. Look forward to hearing more stories. Me too. Until then. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!